welcome to Book Chatter, the monthly book club podcast sponsored by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Jana, your host for this episode, and with me today are Denise. Hi. And Devin. Hello. To discuss our latest pick, The Fox and I, An Uncommon Friendship by Katherine Raven. And spoiler alert, today we'll be discussing Fox and I in its entirety. So if you haven't finished reading it yet, you might want to come back to this episode when you've done so. A little bit of info about the author and the book. After receiving her PhD in biology, Katherine Raven lived in an isolated cottage in Montana, teaching remotely and leading field classes in Yellowstone National Park. Her only regular visitor was a fox, with whom she developed a friendship and from whom she learned about growth, loss, and belonging. Raven is a former National Park Ranger at Glacier, Mount Rainier, North Cascades, Voyager, and Yellowstone National Parks. Her natural history essays have appeared in American Scientist, Journal of the American Mensa, and Montana Magazine. You can find her in Fox's Valley, tugging tumbleweeds from the sloughs. She lives in Emigrant, Montana. And we will give this some ratings. And Devin, what did you think of it? Um, sure. So I I wanted to like this book. <laughs> I, I like nature writing um, in general, and I loved the idea of being in a little isolated cabin alone in Montana, surrounded by wild animals. That really appeals to me a lot, a lot. But I struggled to um, I struggled to pay attention. Full disclosure, I did not finish this book, so I actually don't know what the ending is like. Um, I listened to it as an audiobook. And it's about 10 hours long, which is not terribly long, but still kind of on the longer um, the longer side. The narrator was uninteresting to me. Um, she read with very little emotion, and it is just so deadpan that I found myself having to, like, rewind it and listen to large chunks and then realizing I didn't catch any of what she said. It was... The writing was nice. The writing was, you know, lyrical, and she painted a nice picture of her surroundings and of the fox and, you know, her... Um, her adventures, you know, going into town and things like that. But sometimes it was too much. <laughs> um, I think I would have enjoyed this book in print more because I do like this style of writing and I do like subject matter. I think it was the wrong format for me. Um, I'm going to give it, gosh, 2.75. Okay. Yeah. All right. How about you, Denise? Okay. I I did like the book. I didn't love the book. Um I loved the descriptions when she would be describing where she's living and the sky and the plants and the animals, the, the feels, the smells. That was wonderful. I could have absolutely gotten lost in that and kind of did a little bit sometimes. But I, I did do audio and a little bit of, of reading the print book as well, a little bit of both. And I will agree with Devin that... Um, Reading it, although the majority that I did was audiobook, that the print book would definitely have been the better way to go if I were doing just one. I did think the narration lacked some uh, some dynamic, mm-hmm. and I did speed it up a little bit just because I'm a pretty fast reader, so I'll get kind of lost if I don't. I want to give it four stars. Wow. I think it could have been better. I think it could have been uh, more succinct. Um, yeah, and at points, I wasn't sure in that more beginning part why she was telling us so much about the humor, human interactions and back and forth, back and forth, and then kind of went on to mostly just the animals. So I kind of, it took me a while to connect why, and I don't think I fully got why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was where it was. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wondered about the narrator. At first I thought, oh, maybe the author is reading it because it didn't seem super professional. Yeah. Um, I but... looked up the narrator. She's narrated quite a few books, and I believe she's won some awards. Oh, okay. So I don't so... know if this was just a one-off or... Yeah, I, I don't know. We but didn't like her style. Anyway, I I did really love this book. I think it brings a lot of richness because it has appeal for many different types of readers. So nature writing, um, the fact that she is a doctor um, in, I think, uh, is it biology? Biology, huh? She has many years of experience as a park ranger. She is a veteran backpacker. All of these things are interests of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I loved all of that. Then, you know, if you like stories about animals, it will appeal to you, um, the connection with animals. And also, um, you know, if you are someone that enjoys memoir, I think it's a compelling read because it pulls in her background as a child who is unloved, unwanted by her father and really suffers and becomes an, an extreme introvert to the point of, you know, not having any friends, withdrawing from society, choosing to just live out on the fringe. Um, and But it does explain, you know, her progression with why she turns to the natural world for her relationships. Um, as an English major, I also enjoyed the fact that she brings in three very important works of literature uh, to kind of reflect on as she goes along in her journey through the novel. So she's talking about three books. One is uh, Frankenstein, one is Little Prince, and uh, one is um, Moby Dick. And so I think that, that this book can really reach many different readers for all those reasons. I think I got a little bit lost in some of the descriptions where she would go off about voles and the dirt. And I mean, I love flowers and I love botany. And so I was interested in all the talk of the penstemons and, and um, you know, the juniper trees. I kind of got a kick out of like, she named her juniper, one juniper was gin, one was named tonic, that, you know, just <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was kind cute. of, yeah, that was, was. fun. Um, so I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Um, oh. Just, yeah. It's you guys just are so generous. <laughs> yeah. I'm just stingy with my stars. I think this book has a, a lot of potential to bring a lot of meaning to people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, all right. Well, we'll um, go ahead with our discussion questions. And thanks to the publisher, Spiegel and Grau, for these questions. Um, <clears throat> so, though Raven lives alone, books keep her company. She identifies with characters like Victor Frankenstein, the Little Prince from The Little Prince, and Ishmael of Moby Dick, with whom she discusses subjects like eating meat and what it means to be a part of society. Did you enjoy this part of the book? Uh, Why or why not? I'll start. Yeah, I did. Um, I have never read um, Frankenstein or The Little Prince, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, I read Moby Dick a couple times, and I really liked Moby Dick. Um, And I understand the gist of Frankenstein and The Little Prince. I mean, you you have to if you're a part of the world. Um, (laughs) And they all three kind of have a similar character theme, I guess. Um, It's kind of like somebody that's a little soft and sweet, and they're kind of trying to find something in their life, um, whether it's by traveling or creating, you know, their own um, as in Frankenstein. And I, I, another thing that I liked about this book that I forgot to mention is that 
it made me want to read The Little Prince, you know, so mm-hmm. I've got to have it on hold now. I you know I feel like I should probably. Yeah, I just it finished anyway. it last night because <laughs> yeah, I was like, like it? I had never read it either. I and either. Yeah, I did. It seems like a children's book, but it's not. It no, is. I mean, it is. it's a children's book. It was, I found it in the children's collection. Okay. okay. Yeah. I thought it was like a classic. But okay. It is. Well, it, yeah, it is. Classic and, children's book. Yeah. I know I, nothing about children's books. <laughs> I had to go back and read it in English because I, the first time I was introduced to it was, um, in a French class, and teacher was like, this year you're translating this. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I don't really know what it's about, yeah. so it's harder to translate it. And it was also past, I did, past yeah. tense, which was harder. Much more meaningful in English. Yeah, I bet. It, it did. I really appreciated the fact that she kind of went into the background of all these books and the, and the author, St. X. And mm-hmm. I was like, I never knew this. This right. is great. really piqued my interest, and I love books like that. So I'm definitely going to read that. Probably will never read Frankenstein because, um, but I love Moby Dick and I've read it multiple times. Um, and it kind of, you know, brought back memories of that book. And I was like, man, I kind of want to read that again. That's such a good book. Um, but yeah, I, I love books that um, introduce me to other books or piques my interest in other books. So yeah, I did like that a lot. I, I thought that, first of all, the books that she talks about are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. as far as they are imaginative, for sure, but she doesn't seem to be, it's like, oh, I'm only reading romance, or I'm only reading horror, or so while they weren't necessarily, they, they definitely weren't based in the real world as other some stories are, you know, even Moby Dick has got a fantastic element to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think that maybe what it was a little bit of, kind of the dreamer in her. Everything's mm-hmm. very practical in her world as far as she's learning about nature and tangible. The and science. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the grounded sciences. And this is kind of uh, it's like an escape. But she still is pretty almost methodical about it, you know, and she's reading and she's talking. Mm-hmm. She'll have the side conversations with the fox and telling him all about it. But I think it, it definitely brought the literature into the everyday life so it wasn't just the daily grind of everything and the fact that she thought to read to the fox like I'd like to hang out with him um, so why not do this and so she's talking out loud maybe like that was a almost like a script I don't know what to talk about with you so I'll just read this to you and you can hear my voice and but she uh, I also noticed and we'll kind of touch on this a little bit later with just her interactions with animals versus with humans and things. But these characters that occurred to me later on, when I thought back on it, they're all prescribed. They're predictable and static because they're always going to be the same in the book. And considering the unpredictability of the nature around her, it seemed like it was also kind of grounding. So a lot of these she'd read over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I want to come back to what you were saying about the difference between science and intuition, which she talks about. And I think that, yeah, these books, they're really idealistic. They're books of youth, kind of, yes. like Ishmael. Um, she writes that um, she was like Ishmael because um, she cured anxiety and boredom with jobs in beautiful and wild places. So you can see, like, you know, when you're young and you're, like, idealistic and you're going to go out and do these things. Mm-hmm. You see that, but then there's also the tension between, well, I need a checking account. Well, I need yeah. surgery. I think she has to go in and get surgery at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, she relies on society. Uh-huh. So yeah. I thought that that was an interesting philosophical argument that she brings up, um, kind of the, the, t- the 
pull, the tug, the back and forth, right? Yeah. Yes. Of, yeah, we've talked about that before on the pod. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like she's grappling with, you know, as a scientist, there's only so much you can know. And you, you miss out on some of the mystery, right, of what's going on with emotions. And I think that's where kind of the little prince came in um, because he was saying, well, what's really important is what you can't see, yeah. what yeah. you feel with the heart. Yeah. And that's something that science doesn't really study. And so I think that was kind of the juxtaposition for her of like, okay, well, I'm this scientist and yet I have this other intuitive side how do I integrate that? Her brain's telling her one thing and her gut is telling her something else. Yeah, yeah. So that that I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, so speaking of her work, um, as a biologist, Raven is wary of being accused of anthropomorphism, the notion that animals might have human traits, an idea that is frowned upon in most of the academic world. And yet, as she grew to know Fock, she found that he had an individual personality. As she points out, it is more acceptable to assign human characteristics to pets who are often thought to resemble their owners than to wild animals. Do you believe Raven was projecting a personality onto Fox or did she know him as one knows a friend? Well, I definitely think she anthropomorphized. I also don't think that's a bad thing. <clears throat> I think sometimes we need ways within our own context <clears throat> to explain or to relate to, to connect. And so we draw on what we do know. And I think <clears throat> she, um, and she did with other animals too, especially when like, uh, when the other animals would interact with each other, whether it was one preying on another or um, her talking about uh, the fox's connection with Tennis, tennis ball, the yeah, bird. yeah. One of the magpies was that one of the magpies? Yeah, <laughs> she and hilarious name. I know. Guys. Yeah, and she interprets his behavior. <laughs> the magpie's behavior is really being kind of a stinker, and I don't know if the yeah. bird in intended to be or not. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was definitely putting those things. And I, I wonder too if it goes back to kind of wanting. Like I don't really know how to describe this or interact, but if I can quantify it within the familiar, then I have more confidence in their interaction or I feel like I can be, I'm allowed to be part of it. You know, that is my in, sort of. And I think some of the things that the fox did were just be doing fox things, but the way maybe, you know, a, a posture or eye contact or something kind of brought up a connection to a human interaction, emotion, connection that, mm -hmm. you know. But on the other hand, if if that's, if anthropomorphizing is what also gives people empathy for animals, respect, mm -hmm. re reverence, um, wants to evoke conservation, evoke protection for especially wild animals versus what she calls boxed, mm -hmm. leashed, or caged animals. Right, right. Um, Again, not necessarily a bad thing. I what you're saying kind of reminds me of um, the the fact that you know even though maybe she's anthropomorphizing the fox, um, I think we have to go back to the fact that like it wasn't just a one way street. 
because that fox mm-hmm. was there every day right at 4 o'clock yes. for the story time. Yes. What do you do with your friends? You hang out with them. Right? Yeah. You share space with them. You yeah. share time with them. Yeah. You worry about them. You know, you yeah. care about them. Yeah. This has every element of a friendship. Yes. I mean, it's so egotistical as humans to think we're the only ones that feel jealousy and, you know, right. compassion and, you know, care yeah. for right. another human. I mean, of course a human and a non-human can have a friendship. I mean, right. it's just a ridiculous question to me. And I do think that science is coming around to that. Mm-hmm. I know Jane Goodall, I've read some interviews with mm-hmm. her, and she said, of course these animals are feeling the same feelings we feel. Right. You know, just because they can't vocalize it in English words yeah. does not mean that. And I agree 100%. I think it may be a little bit more practical from their perspective just because so much of their lives are about survival. But agreed. And I actually, you know, this question is about, or about um, when she's writing from her perspective, but I was really struck too by when she's talking, she's writing from the fox's perspective when the fox exclaims, on plan, off plan, you get that snippet of like the animal is like, no, and you could you could almost see what the behavior, picture what the behavior would have been like that went with it. Um, like I have dogs and I've seen that. Where it's like, hey, <laughs> that wasn't what's <laughs> supposed to happen, especially with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what about the... Um Part of the book where she talks about there's a cow or an elk or a something that's drowning or dying and there's the, uh, the companion is standing there yeah i mean yeah. that's going against the instinct i would think you know i'm not a trained biologist but wouldn't you run away right <laughs> you know if you're your it's, it's weakness your co-herd animal is yeah mm-hmm. right it's vulnerability yeah. for you as well yeah so i mean uh-huh. yeah 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 yeah, I I think I like that she points out, you know, that we're we're kind of myopic in how we view animals like you were saying Devin and and you know when she goes to the fox's den, you know, she's afraid that he has passed away yeah. and she finds these items that are like decor, you know, yeah. Yeah. that don't have a practical purpose and she that gives her like a sense of happiness that like fox was making a meaningful home yeah Mm -hmm. it's things you you see in in like uh ravens Mm -hmm. will collect shiny things Mm -hmm. but not necessarily there aren't a lot of mammals that are doing that Mm -hmm. um yeah and because they were so different he obviously had no use for them i mean in his survival Mm -hmm. and they weren't things that were alike yeah so some were nature and some weren't and yeah, and I, I really like that she chose The Little Prince, and I was kind of wondering, you know, what came first, her decision to read that book or this memoir, because there's just so many things now that I've finished The Little Prince. The, the, so the, the Little Prince falls from the sky, mm-hmm. from his planet, and he meets many different people on Earth, but one of them is the fox, and the fox comes to The Little Prince and says... Um, I want you to tame me. And the little prince, since he's not from Earth, is like, I don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't know things. And then the mm-hmm. fox explains, well, taming means that you create bonds, ties together. Hmm. And so that is exactly what's happening in this book, right? Is that they're developing these relationships. And the fox says, you know, um, that way every day when we're going to meet, this is in the little prince, 
I will start to feel happy. Like an hour before I meet you, I'll start to feel happy. And it's because it's something I can look forward to. But then the downside is that like, we know that when you go away, we'll have all this grief. And she experiences all this grief in the book, mm-hmm. you know, when she fears that she's lost Fox and, you know, and, and then when she does. But I think that really drives home the point that they did have a relationship because of course. those are mm-hmm. the, the ties that that bound them together, which are those invisible bonds. Right? So does that mean I've tamed my friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, tamed. Yeah, me snowed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought that, that was at least the translation into English was the word tamed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and, and two, you know, he also reciprocates in a sense by bringing by you know bringing the his kids mm-hmm. you know like he understands i think that she could definitely be a predator you know he's seen all the weird things that yeah. she's done to try to mitigate certain other animals or their behaviors destruction whatever um so to say you know i recognize that not only are you not going to harm me but it's enough that i would trust you with the most vulnerable of my species. How much of that do you think is the fox realizing that she's also to be a protector as well? It's like, I'm going to bring my kits around you because no other animals are going to come around you because you're a scary human predator. Right. So you're not going to hurt me, but you might hurt other people, so I'm safe around you. Probably. I wonder if that's... Well, and I think so because well. he talks about, you know, when, when he put the mouse on the porch oh, mm-hmm. and she was like oh he brought me a mouse and then she kind of catches herself and starts realizing he's not bringing her gifts he's leaving because then he comes back and gathers all of them takes <laughs> them to his den but um that that porch is where no other animals are going yeah. to come take what he got so it wasn't yeah. really it's kind of using her yeah which made me question the friendship sense. I think well, I, I mean think they do have and I'm not saying they weren't, but I'm saying like I think animals view it friends use friends sometimes. I mean not necessarily in a bad way. Right. But like as a more practically mutual beneficial mm-hmm. with certain emotional elements, I think it was certainly more emotional for her yeah. than for the fox. And so he probably saw, hey, you know, she's someone that means I'm not alone, at least until he met his mate. Um, who can, you know, practically keep my food, my catch from getting stolen. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, there's plenty of mice around because of her existence there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was was fascinating to kind of read that and to get drawn into that part of it. Yeah, it's it's a topic you could talk about forever. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, the next question is going to be about the other descriptions of animals in the book. Next question. Um, Fox and I is called a memoir because it recounts in the first person the author's memories of her friendship with the fox. And yet sections of the book are told from the author's imagined perspective of the animals with whom she shares the land. Did you find these descriptions convincing? Did they enhance your experience of the narrative or distract you? Did they deepen your understanding of the book's themes? I think personally... Obviously, everyone's going to take something different from it. But if it had been a fiction book, I think it would have enhanced it more in a certain way. So in some ways, it detracted because as I'm reading it, like you were talking about the, you know, your love of of botany and those sort of specific scientific things. You're reading the descriptions and 
and it's very real and vivid for you. For me, it was almost kind of like those episodes of um, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. You know, <laughs> okay, I'm dating myself, but oh no, I picked up right what you're um, <laughs> you know, it's like watching a documentary, and sometimes even the narrator is going to anthropomorphize, mm-hmm. um, yeah. just because it makes it interesting, and it's that much more that we will relate to the show and watch it. Um, so I thought some of it detracted from it because it was nonfiction and it was a little bit more of that um, straightforward scientific. But in other ways, how else would you really get, be able to put yourself in that? So where obviously like I loved the, um, oh, on, on plan, because you get it, but it's also like, okay, no fox has ever had that thought. <laughs> so okay, I'm like, is that made it more fiction for me. But and I've I've actually um tried delving into writing before and I'm terrible at it. <laughs> terrible if it's any kind of fiction or creative writing because I've always thought if you're talking if you're trying to give an animal's perspective that has no language that is not experiencing life the same way humans do, how do you describe that? Like, if I were writing strictly as an animal as the main character and trying to keep it very sort of pure to what it would have been like, there's so much language you cannot insert there. You know, how do they know the name of a couch, the name of a cloud? They don't. So then what do you call it? How do you express that in a way that would be purely what an animal would relate to? And... You really can't as far as I've been able to tell. So if you're going to write about animals from their perspective, you're going to have to insert some of that and take some creative license, even in the very practical naming of objects or feelings um, and from any kind of first person. It added, it also detracted, but I think it was necessary. I think it did in some ways give more understanding because how many of us have lived out in a cottage in the middle of nowhere? And we might see a fox go through our backyard, but how many of us really... And and without television, without radio, without all of the distractions we have, truly just sat out on your back porch for hours every night, which for me, it's on me that I don't. But it it was a good way to, I think, deepen those themes because I have never experienced that. Mm-hmm. I... uh. I didn't really like that part, those parts of the book. Um, she came off kind of mean, mm. um, and I kind of disliked her a little bit when she was writing like that. Um, there's a quote I want to read from a New York Times article. Um, so, quote, I do question the way in which she valorizes fox hunting, hunting and demonizes that of feral cats. By her own descriptions, both animals' hunting methods cause violence to their prey. For Raven, though... Fox's hunting is natural, and the cat's is morally repulsive because cats are recent arrivals, unnatural to the landscape. Like, she picked and chose. About the hunting. Mm-hmm. But I thought she was really down on the, the fox hunting. How about cr- the cruelty of it? Whereas, I know she is a hunter, but she was eating that meat. She was. It wasn't um, just a game. A, yeah, I don't have a problem yeah. with hunting as far as, you know, if you're if you're using the... the mm-hmm you know, results of the hunting. It's, you know, right. sticking a deer's head on the wall is just weird to me, but whatever. <laughs> I, yeah, I, she, she talked down about s- different animals and then she, you know, yeah. like, like she said, valorizes yeah. the fox and it's, they're doing the same thing. They're just trying to survive, you know? Yeah. The feral cat. That disappointed me. Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe I'm just a cat lover and that's why. 
Yeah, I think she was trying to say, like, she's not talking about the, the pet cats that no. are fed. It's the ones that are, like, no. dumped out. The family will yeah. just dump it out in the country road. And, and then it does kind of become an invasive species in that landscape, right? It does. They weren't from here, and they're not. Same with the voles. I mean, wasn't, I mean, they're not invasive, but they, no. they didn't, they just but they, yeah, they were yeah. like infest. Yes, it's, yeah. it's yeah. not like there's a. And few. they're pretty cute. I looked them up. I've never known what a hole looked like before. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty cute. Yeah, you kind of want to like them until they're in your backyard, yeah. and you just yeah. But I think too. I mean, just from what I have looked into previous prior to this with feral cats and just the amount of native species of like songbirds yes. and small reptiles and things that it's not good. Populations are decimated, which mm-hmm. she didn't say here, but I wonder if that was part of it. Um, is the cat taking um, taking food or resources away from the native it's creatures? Not the cat's fault. Um, it's not. It really is is a human a human creation that they're there. The mm-hmm. problem that they're there, um, and the fact that cats tend to just sometimes they do it for sport but are not using it? They do. And I was trying to think, Is that what part of it? other creature kills for fun? Like, besides humans? Well, I don't know. If the cat's genuinely hungry, it will eat it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're talking about cats that have the, the food on the side from the homes, yeah. and then and they're also... And they kill for fun. Yeah. Yeah, so... I don't know of any other animal that does that. I think even big cats do that. Yeah, because it's like entertainment. They're playing... I don't know, honestly. I don't either. Um, there probably are, but nothing comes to mind. Because I've I've heard of, you know, animals like even foxes or coyotes might play with another creature. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, which is also, I suppose, kind of cruel, but to, to just kill it and leave it. Yeah. Kill it well, and leave it. Listeners, if you, if yeah. you know the answer to this yeah. question, if Tell you're us. a yeah. biologist, yeah, please let us know. So... We're going to talk a little bit now about um, uh, Raven's childhood. Um, the author does share very little with readers about her childhood, like the character of the Little Prince. Um, she prefers to look forward, not backward. Would learning more about her childhood have given you a better understanding of her friendship with Fox? Was her choice of focusing on the present a strength of the book? Or would more information about her background have provided a more satisfying read? I mean, I'm a nosy person, so of course I want to know more about people's childhoods. Sounds like she had a terrible traumatic childhood, which, you know, of course I don't wish on anyone. But I think it would have helped me understand more why she would go isolate herself like that. I think it would have given me a deeper understanding. um, Because that's not common behavior. Most people want to be around other people and, you know, we're social creatures. I think she was probably so traumatized that she just, and I'm just guessing here, didn't want to be around humans. I mean, she had only mm-hmm. known cruelty from them, it sounded like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your your formative years with your parents, that's your first kind of foray into human relationships. Right. And if it doesn't go well, I mean, it, it affects you your entire life. Yeah, so she writes that um, about what her dad said to her, mm-hmm. um, that that, you know, when she was 12, that the statements that he said to her um, and his attitude overwhelmed her emotional state and all of her relationships and everything that she had ever done since. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And even supportive people, she kind of didn't know what to do with, like, um, managers in different parks she worked at, you know, who were guiding her and even telling her, like, um, you know, this is really as far as you could go. You should 
you should leave because you can do better. Like, not because we don't want you here. But she, yeah, she seems to not know. And how could she? But also, who can you trust? And mm-hmm. I think for me, it, it also, when it came to like the animals, I feel like some people, you know, it's sort of that quintessential thing that's kind of going around with, with Yellowstone, don't pet the fluffy cows. You know, uh-huh. where people are just like, oh, I just want to hug it. She never talked about wanting to like scritch its ears or rub mm-hmm. its belly. Or she's content to be like, you know, that's your bubble. This is my bubble. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, which worked well for the fox. I think if she had pressured, Absolutely. you know, pushed yeah. that bubble, it would have been hard. And then in return, he is like, here are my kids. He felt safe with her. Yeah, I wonder if she mm-hmm. thought about that, like, they get a loving dad. <laughs> I wondered. You know, I was like, oh, they're probably playing all innocent. She's like, I wanted that. Yeah. But I think that there's that. like a, a therapy in the present moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, she writes about how Fox to- told her to be more of a verb and not a noun. Mm-hmm. Um to write, say, I write instead of I am a writer because things mm-hmm. are always changing and shifting. Yeah. And, like, if you just are something, it's stagnant. Whereas if you're in the moment, it can always change, and it means that you're focusing on the present. And it seems like a lot of her writing is about the present. Mm-hmm. Like you said, sitting on the porch, like really having these deep observations. Yeah. And I think that that is a part of how people process, can process trauma. Like if you've read Wild by Cheryl Strayed, which I loved, was her like doing that entire journey along the Pacific Crest Trail and processing like her mom's death and all of the trauma that she had gone through out having that experience. So, but I think it is interesting that she just gives us like these breadcrumbs of her trauma. Like she Mm -hmm. doesn't have the flashbacks like in Cheryl Strayed's book. Right. But we're kind of left to fill in the the blanks, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I do like the presence of this book, and I think that that's sort of maybe what she's wanting the reader to focus on. Yeah, well, sure, it would be hard to relive that in your book over and over again. Definitely. And and why she has so much education on nature, the animals, the plants, yeah. the whole thing. So she's got that, um, seems like it's almost kind of like that's a security blanket kind of thing. I know she talks about, like, I know this fox could hurt me, could attack me at any time. But she's also watching its body language and appreciating that that's not what it's doing and that I can feel comfortable knowing the boundaries, knowing um, where where I can interact, what is acceptable, and it's much more um, prescribed than human interactions that she doesn't have a foundation for or anything mm-hmm. she does know, like we said, is is seems to be primarily negative. And so yeah. no wonder she likes animals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, in an interview, Raven has stated that nature isn't a mother. Rather, it is a community by which she means that it's part of us. Is this a helpful distinction? How would this shift in definition change our relationship with nature? Devin, did you... I have some thoughts on that. Um, let's see. It isn't a mother. It's community. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a community in the fact that, you know, we both give and take with each other. But I feel like nature, I, I had to describe it as more of a child. Like it's our responsibility to be the parent to mm-hmm. nature mm-hmm. and to take care of it and to make sure we're not injuring it. That's my personal view. I mean, I, I can see the community aspect, um, 
but nature definitely isn't a mother, I don't think. I don't think it, I mean, it does take care of us, but not. Yeah, not I like way. how you've kind of flipped that around mm-hmm. to a more modern way of, of looking at it instead of just always taking from mom. Right. Oh, mom will provide. Yeah. Um, we've been given this great abundance to, well, now we actually realize, well, look what we've done to mom. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and she's, all moms can probably relate to <laughs> she's being right. Yeah, suffering out. and, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, so that's that's the way I looked at it. Um, I don't know. That's just me personally, though. Well, and there's also if you don't take care of the child, it can throw a temper tantrum. Yes, and it can become unruly, yes, and it can it become can. dangerous. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, yes, that is <laughs> wonderful example. Yes, yeah, can go either way. Yeah, I like that she she mentions John Muir, and the quote from John Muir was, "When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe." Yeah, and so mm-hmm. yeah, I think just to try to like look at it more holistically that way instead of just this overarching abundance that will always right. be it's just kind of okay given to, to us, take from nature you know? i think right. it's okay but you can't only take you right. have to give back mm-hmm. or and she could not just look at her interaction with the fox yeah. without looking at the the fox and um, what was the flower that was always between them that was that the one? the forget me not yes yeah. yeah and watching it's life cycle, watching the fox's interaction with being on the rock, um, relationship to the rock, and then just the animals hunting. Yeah, you can't just take fox, put it under glass, and go, oh, now I'm going to interact with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as we talked about, um, Raven pays keen attention to the land and the creatures around her, from weeds to trees to birds to deer. She takes seriously her responsibility to her land and spends a great deal of time thinking about the needs of its various inhabitants. And yet she doesn't revere nature indiscriminately. She detests the feral cats that roam her property and tries to get rid of the omnipresent bulls. And she's also a hunter. Did you find her attitude contradictory? Or does being part of nature mean that we have wild impulses too? Um, You know, I think humans were animals first and foremost. Um, I, I don't... Uh, contradictory? I don't know about contradictory, but... I don't have a problem with hunting, you know, as long as you're not there, you're shooting things left and right and just leaving them to die. And it's just for fun. I don't know. I did feel her attitude towards the cats were a bit over the top. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think it's a bit difficult to say as an either or. Is it this or is it that? Yeah. Because nature's too complex for that. Yeah. Right. Agreed. And yeah. the ways we interact with it and can interact with it are just... So yeah, I I I pulled this quote out because I thought, oh, this is an interesting take. Uh, She writes, in the 21st century, everyone wants everything to be natural, with a few exceptions: medicine, transportation, energy, (laughs) communication, television, wrinkles, cell phones, bad eyes, weak hearts, worn knees, small boobs, old hips, (laughs) and indoor temperature. Yeah, that's great. Right. So yeah, there's just there's a lot of complexity. I I would not want to live in nature. Sorry. I would I would lose it. And then there's Jenna. <laughs> right. Right. And it and that and that can change in the moment. Time of year, necessity, yeah. our own emotions that I can yeah. sleep. So yeah. yeah, just too many moving parts to pin it down, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So uh Fox and I is a story about an interspecies friendship. Friendship implies a reciprocal relationship. Do you believe such a relationship is possible with a non-human? Was there a turning point in the book when you began to believe that Raven and Fox were truly friends? Did you learn anything about friendship in general from their relationship? What are the most important characteristics of friendship 
yes, I absolutely believe that a human can have true friendship with a non-human, 100%. Um, I've experienced it myself, and I think the characteristics are, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, you spend time with each other, you share space with each other, you mm-hmm. care about each other. The yeah. Fox and the author did all of these things. Yeah, and I, I liked how she brings in the history of man's relationship with foxes that goes back to 16,000 years ago, you know, at least, um, that there were graves found in Jordan and Israel and Palestine that um, have bodies of, of girls, dogs, and foxes. And she, you know, is kind of conjecturing that the dogs were pets because their teeth were worn down because they had been eating grain, but the fox didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fox was still on the wild diet, and the and so she suspects that the fox was, was a friend, and that's why it was buried. Aww. And she talks about a little bit in the Japanese culture how foxes are are revered, and I think it's a common thing throughout the world. Yeah. Then um, you have the dark period where the British love to see the fox, <laughs> which is graphic. Yeah, but I think again, it's it's good to look at friendship from a. I mean, from a di- from different perspectives, like mm-hmm. you know, like a prism, because if we just say friendship as what it means to us with each other, it's not the same. Because I think animals are also very. They're not having super complex thoughts and emotions necessarily, and it depends on the species. But there's right. also can you be a friends lot. with a shark? Yeah, I don't know. Can you be friends but with like, a mosquito? But like, we can have friendships that we benefit from, but they aren't. I think we can sometimes sub- separate out our needs, mm-hmm. uh, at least our our practical, tangible needs. It's more of an emotional, um, psychological connection. Um, otherwise it's, it's a little bit different, but for animals, I think the practicalities of food, shelter, protection play more into it. Sure, I so it's like, I am friends with you. I enjoy being with you, but also you're providing all these amazing benefits yeah. just by being there. Right. Each friendship is different. Like yes. my friendship with you guys at work is different from my friendships that, you know, people that I've known since I was 15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if I put mice on your porch, now you know Please why. Please don't do that. <laughs> but you'll but, know why. Yeah. <laughs> but even even if she hadn't had a fox that, like, came and sat on her porch every day at the same time, she still got a gift. Right. Even just by watching those animals. Right. right. And, and the interaction with fox. And you feel that, I think, like, yeah. when you see a fox. I It's only been, like, a rare occasion when I've seen a fox in the wild. But it was just so magical that... We skied to this hut, and it was, like, snowing, and it was getting dark. And there was this box that was, like, circling the hut in the snow. And just that moment, like, I will never forget that moment. Yeah. That's neat. Beautiful. Yeah, I've seen a, I've seen a couple fox um, yeah. in Fort Collins, like, in the middle of the city. Yeah. You know, behind my, you know, as I was taking a walk behind some apartment complex. Field. And they were babies, and they were so cute. Yeah, Aww. I just, but, yeah, yeah. And she says, "I realized that a fox, like a rainbow and every other gift from nature, yeah. had an intrinsic value that was quite independent of its longevity." Mm-hmm. Do you think she, she was looking for a companion, and the fox just happened to be there? Would she have made friends with a magpie or some other creature if the fox wouldn't have stayed around? I don't think so. No. Uh, she doesn't really like the magpies no, very much. No, she doesn't. Much. Sure, that was probably not a good example. She but. really doesn't like the voles. No. Or the feral cats. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what it would have been unless it had been like a raptor maybe that came every day. I think it needed to have a certain um, 
maybe greater level of intellectual complexity yeah. than some of the than most of what was around her. Um, and I think being a mammal, the playfulness mm-hmm. that she saw in it, and they're cute. Yeah, she know? could identify with right. it. Yeah, it's hard to be friends with like a mole or something or yeah. or a vulture. Um, so last question, um, Raven's friendship with Fox changes her. How would you characterize those changes? What are some of the things she learns from the Fox? Why does she feel it's important to leave the Fox a legacy by writing this book? I'm not sure about the legacy personally, but I think she learns some of the skills that we get as kids going back to her childhood. I think it it's a way of putting that back into her life and filling in some of those gaps in a non-threatening way. Um, she learns caretaking um, in terms of making sure that, like when she can't find him, it was really mm-hmm. interesting for someone who wasn't doing a whole lot to take care of or go out away, other than like taking the eggs out for, for the magpies. She's not doing a whole lot to go out of her way, to go off of her property, but she's out looking for this fox and she's just you know when she finds the fur in the bushes in the plants and stuff and then her elation when she does find them and then not only that but surprise yeah (laughs) there are more of us there's Um, nothing cuter than baby fox yes and i think bonding it seems like she didn't really i don't really find anywhere else in here any people any animals anything that she's bonded with it's all just end interaction. And, um, yeah, the fact that she misses, the fact that she longs for, she waits for, she's excited about. Um, so she sort of gets those skills later in life from a very kind of unlikely source in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great observation. Yeah, I, I love how she ties it up at the end where she says, you know, I've stopped trying to disappear Mm-hmm. Um, that we had been opposites that way, Fox and I. He wanted connections. He wanted to matter. And I think because of what she suffered from her family and her childhood, she just withdrew yeah. uh, from people. And he kind of brought her back out. And she realized that after this relationship that she had with a fox, I mean, how amazing is that? That, like, she decided to have her surgery on her frenum so that, you know, she could smile normally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she decided to go to the Everglades with friends and— you know, and she continued a relationship with some man that, you know, she had had met and decided, well, you know, he's not so bad. And yeah. I mean, I think it was just a friendship, but yeah. still, like, she didn't really have friends that right. were people before, and and that 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 was Fox's gift that he Aww. that he gave to her, and yeah. um, and she also said, you know, I realized that purpose was more important than profession, and it kind of ties back in with. Um, Ishmael and, you know, just being, being on the whaling boat and realizing, you know, this is where I want to be. She, she decides like, it's not really that important for me to further my career in academia. She's a biologist, but here she's decided to write a memoir. She's now a writer. And that, that was, that was her purpose that he kind of brought to her. And, and now she's like telling the story for other people to give, I feel like to give that gift to others. Yeah. That's a good observation too. I'm, I'm curious if her family read this. It'd be interesting because it's a great journey of true self. And it's not, I think, the self that she thought it would be in a lot of ways. Or other people thought, wow, she's got a PhD in biology and she's a professor. And, you know, career-wise yeah. and what we think of in, in our more urban, I guess, lives, 
in a lot of ways didn't seem like it was her true self. Yeah. And this was how it seemed like the fox helped her find that. Well, good for them both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Denise and Devin, for a thoughtful discussion of Catherine Raven's Fox and I. For our next episode, we're diving into a short story collection set right here in Colorado called Denver Noir. The anthology continues a noir series launched in 2004 with Brooklyn Noir. Each book comprises all new stories, each one set in a distinct neighborhood or location within the respective city with brand new stories by Colorado authors. Denver Noir is available in print and e-audiobook formats from the Longmont Public Library. 